That's the old school there, huh? No one does that. All right. Whew, now I'm out of breath. Quick thought. Do not skank before preaching. I think that could be used in... You could say that in a lot of different areas. Do not skank. Do not skank before preaching. Whew. No, really. That was pretty good. I ran up here and then... Exercise, heart is pumping. Maybe I should do some more cardio every once in a while, huh? I don't know. <laughs> I am dying. All right, so welcome tonight, guys. Hope you've had a good night so far. Um, awesome, awesome. Tonight we're going to talk about um, a key issue in faith. Yeah, it's really important, actually. It's it's a cornerstone of belief. Have you guys ever been? Um, Let's see, at a fair, at a concert, at some big social gathering, and there's a dude with a huge sign that says something like, turn or burn on it, or like, repent because the, the end is near, right? You see the signs, and they kind of catch your attention, but you're like, ah, these dudes are crazy. <laughs> yeah, but what if some of what they're saying is actually really true? What if even though maybe the way they presented it might be kind of whacked and it caught your attention and maybe even offended you, but what if what they're saying is actually kind of true? What I mean this is that um, Jesus said these words in Matthew 4, 17. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, and his words here, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's Christ's words. And he spoke, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's what he spoke. And if Jesus said it, without a doubt, it must be important. Because the stuff that Jesus said in the Bible, I mean, that's what I base my life off of. I mean, he's, he is God in man form. Do we really know what it means to repent? What does this word repent mean? We've seen it on signs, and we even hear Jesus talk about it. But what does this word repent really mean? Because I can assume what it means. I've heard it spoken in different areas. I've seen it on signs. But do I really understand? Thank you, Zach. I know. My breathing is its getting better. Very good. But do I actually understand what it means? Because it, maybe it's too important just to assume. Um, even though I've heard it, like I said, I might have the wrong definition. So what if we just took tonight and we take a few moments to actually look at what this word, re- this word repent means? What does it mean if it's so important? Well, how I like to look at the Bible a lot of times and it makes it a lot funner when we talk like this, is I like to look at a story in the Bible. So if you guys don't mind, you want to get out your Bibles, if you have them. Way, way back in the Old Testament, there was a book called Second Kings. It comes after First Kings, quite fitting, which comes after Samuel, for First and Second Samuel, and comes after a bunch of other books that start the beginning of the Bible. You'll find it about not quite halfway through the Old Testament. But 2 Kings, and in 22 and 23, there's the story that we're going to look at tonight. And it's of a man called Josiah. Now I, as crazy as it sounds, am going to read you a broad majority of 22 and 23. I'm reading it to you out of the message, which might be slightly different than what you're reading in your Bible. 
Same type of application. But I'm going to read this to you. Maybe even just listen to this more than read it along, and then you can read over it. But I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to take a look at this. It says this. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He ruled for 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah, I think. (laughs) She was from Bozkath. He lived the way that God wanted. He kept straight on the path blazed by his ancestor, David, not one step to either left or right. One day in the 18th year of his kingship, King Josiah sent the royal secretary, Shaphan, son of Azalea, the son of Meshullah, to the temple of God with these instructions. Go to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him count the money that has been brought to the temple of God that the doormen have collected from the people. Have them turn it over to the foremen who are managing the work on the temple so that they can, be pay, they can pay the workers who are repairing God's temple, all the carpenters, construction workers, and masons. Also, authorize them to buy lumber and dress stone for the temple repairs. You don't need to get a receipt for the money you give them. They're all honest men. Says the high priest Hilkiah reported to Shaphan, the royal secretary, I've just found the book of God's revelation instructing us in God's ways. I found it in the temple. What's really cool about this is the temple was created much earlier, you know, with Moses when he's out in the wilderness and all this was all set up. And Moses is the one who wrote this book, what they call the book of Revelation. He says, I just found it in the temple. And it says he gave it to Shaphan and Shaphan read it. Then Shaphan, the royal secretary, came back to the king and gave him an account of what had gone on. Your servants have bagged up the money that has been collected for the temple. They have given it to the foreman to pay the temple workers. Then Shaphan, the the royal secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest gave me a book. And Shaphan proceeded to read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in the book, God's revelation, he ripped his robes in dismay. So this book of God's revelation is read before him. And we see the fact that he realizes that this has not been followed. He tears his clothes and he falls basically to the ground. And he ends up going forward. He sends a guy off to go and find out what God's going to do. He asks a prophet to tell him about what's going on. We're going to jump forward to the beginning in 23, where it continues on about Josiah himself personally. In 23.1, it says, The king acted immediately assembling all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. Then the king proceeded to the temple of God, bringing everyone in his train, priests and prophets, and people ranging from the famous to the unknown. Then he read out publicly everything written in the book of the covenant that was found in the temple of God. The king stood by the pillar and before God solemnly committed them all to the covenant to follow God believingly and obediently to follow his instructions, heart and soul, on what to believe and do. To put into practice the entire covenant, all that was written in the book, the people stood in affirmation. Their commitment was unanimous. It says, Then the king ordered Hilkiah, the the high priest, his associate priest, and the temple sentries to clean house, to get rid of everything in the temple of God that had been made for worshiping Baal and Asherah and the cosmic powers. These are other gods at the time that people would worship, idols. It said he had them burned outside of Jerusalem in the fields of Kedron and then disposed of the ashes in Bethlehem. He fired the pagan priests uh, whom the kings of Judah had hired to supervise the local sex and religion shrines in the towns of Judah and neighborhoods of Jerusalem. In a stroke, he swept the country clean of the polluting stench of the -the round-of-the-clock worship of Baal, sun and moon, stars, and the so-called cosmic powers. He took 
the obscene phallic Asherah pulled down from the temple of God to the valley of Kedron outside Jerusalem, burned it up, then ground up the ashes and scattered them in the cemetery. He tore out the rooms of the male sacred prostitutes that had been set up in the temple of God. Women also used these rooms for weaving for Asherah. He swept the outlying towns of Judah clean of priests and smashed the sex and religion shrines where they worked their trade from one end of the country to the other, other, all the way to Geba to Beersheba. He smashed the sex and religion shrines that had been set up just to the left of the city gate for the private use of Joshua, the city mayor. Even though these sex and religion priests did not defile the altar in the temple itself, they were part of the general priestly corruption and had to go. Since then, then Josiah demolished the Topheth, the iron furnace griddle set up in the valley of Ben-Himmon for sacrificing children in the fire. No longer could anyone burn son or daughter to the god Molech. He hauled off the horse statues honoring the sun gods to the king of Judah that the king of Judah had set up near the entrance of the temple. They were in the courtyard next to the office of Nathan Melech, the warden. He burned up the sun chariots as so much rubbish. I'm going to stop right there. It continues on about more that he smashes and he goes on destroying. In the time of Josiah, um, first and second kings, it's a time where Israel and Judah are really, really turned away from God. Very, very rarely are they ever in actually God's will. And every so often there'll be a king that'll show up. What it does is it's talking about all these kings of, of uh, Israel and Judah and one after another after another evil men in God's sight, evil men in God's sight, evil men. And then sooner or later, you'll see someone like Josiah pop up. And it says, and he was right in God's sight. And Josiah is this perfect picture of what repentance really means. If we look at this, we can really actually get a picture of it, which I like, because I like looking at stories instead of just doing some sort of theological background check. Josiah is faced with truth, and he displays repentance. So tonight we're going to look at repentance, and especially in, in relation to that. So here's the first thing that I see about repentance, if you guys are taking notes or if you're just taking mental notes, whatever you'd like to take. But the first thing I see about repentance is this, is that it takes a change inside. The word repent in Greek is metanoite. That word up there. If you guys are looking at it and thinking, is this... Am I confused? Is that in a different language? It is. That is the original Greek text of what was written when they wrote, repent, metanoe. And here's what it meant. The base of the Greek word is metaneo. So in its context, it's metanoe. But the base word is metaneo, which basically means to change one's mind. Now, however, when you look into it, and when you go deeper, it's not just a mind change. That's really not... The the feeling of the word. It's not just to say like, hey, I'm going to have Fruit Loops. No, instead I'm going to have Captain Crunch. Like that's not the feeling that's put with this when they say mind change. But what's put with it is the, like a mindset change. You know what I mean? Like deep down inside of the mind, like a real shift. How I was thinking of it is this, is not just your mind, but yet your heart, your soul, everything that you are. It's not just your mind change, but it's your self change from the inside out the very core of who you are, a shift in that. That's what this really means, a deep inside of us type of change. That's what metanoite means. Now this comes with the realization of who we really are, all the sin that's piled on top of us. We see this with Josiah. 
he, does, he has no clue. Josiah is just another king, and he takes reign, and he's just, he's just going to be a king, and he's ruling over people. And, you know, he, he was young even. But then he's confronted with the word of God when it's found. Because he didn't have anyone telling him about what was right or what was wrong. He was just, you know, living life. But then this, this high priest gives him this book, and when he comes and he reads it, he realizes, wow, I follow none of this. And this is the holy word of God that Moses wrote down. And we see this, man, where he is face to face with the knowledge of the sin. For us, often it comes in about the same package. It comes when God's word, a friend, a stranger, actually tells us. And always when the Holy Spirit actually convicts us, just like happened in this in his heart this change the holy spirit is the reason why we can understand and feel conviction you always have to remember that that's god's spirit working here today it's not some scary spirit you have to be afraid of the holy ghost but the holy spirit is god's spirit working on earth today that's what makes me and you actually understand what sin is that's his job this change inside of us though it can't just be a mind change like i said it's not good enough but it has to be this whole self change and we have to really mean it from the inside out. We see Josiah, we see this picture of when he hears it, it says he just tears his clothes. This is a common symbol in the Old Testament, that when people were just like overwhelmed by emotion, that they would just tear their clothes, basically just destroy what was there. And a lot of times they would just fall to the ground because it was like a, sh- a, a showing of submission. That there was really this, this repentance, this deep uh, hurt inside of them. In the Hebrew language, not in Greek, which is New Testament. In the Old Testament, Hebrew, the word that's often used for a pen is nachum. And what that means is a deep, deep regret, like down to your innermost being. This deep regret is caused by this weight of sin. And this, this deep regret, this nachum, makes metanoite possible. This deep grief and this deep feeling of, yes, man, this is, this is wrong. This is wrong. That's what makes this change possible. That's what we see here. Um, it's just as simple as this. When I was a kid and I did something wrong, my mom didn't have to spank me because she knew that if she came in and she stopped me and sat me down, she said, Cameron, I am so disappointed in you. I can't believe you would do that. Oh, it was worse. I wish I could have just got spanked. It was horrible. It was horrible because of course that, that deep regret comes into my soul. You know, because I, mean, I love my mom, and she just, Cameron, I can't believe you do that. It hurts my feelings so bad. Oh, deep, deep grief inside of me. And you know what happened? I changed because of it. I'd be like, I'm sorry, Mom. I won't do it again. I swear. I swear, Mom. I swear. That's the deal. You know, it was that deep, that deep grief that made that change possible, where it made, made it realize. And you know what? It came the same way to me when I finally gave my life to Christ. It was when I was in high school one time, and I think one of the days when I finally got serious about it was after another day at school acting as if I was a Christian, but I wasn't, um, in which I ended up wearing a Christian uh, shirt to school. And I was talking to friends, and I made sure that I covered it up so they wouldn't notice the fact that I was a Christian and I was wearing a Christian T-shirt. And it was that night that I came, and I, I, went to, uh, I went to our youth ministry. And I don't even remember what the message is on. It really didn't matter because it wasn't what the people were speaking. It was what God was doing in my heart. But I remember by the end of the night that when it finished off, there was a time where we could just stop and be with God. And I remember falling down and just, I mean, before God and just saying, God, I'm sick of it. 
I don't want to be this person anymore. This isn't me. That's not who I want to be. And actually coming to a place where I told people and be like, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of the fact that I was ashamed. You know, that's not who I want to be. That deep regret that made the change possible. We have to feel the same regret in order for the change to take place in us. A realization that the sin that we have is no longer making us happy. That all that stuff that used to be fun, that it's really still not enough. We're no longer content with it. We have to feel the weight of our sin just like Josiah and then follow that by that change inside of us to say, that is not me anymore. That is not who I want to be. We see an example in Job um, of, this, of this deep realization down inside of your soul. Um, the book of Job is, is, is an amazing book um, in, which, in which this man of God is tested. He's tested in his faith. And he stands, he stands strong. However, though, he does really criticize God on why he's being judged. And at the end, when God finally sees him face to face, this is Job's response. In Job 42, 5 through 6, he says, My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, and therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And it comes to that point like that where in my life where I said, Man, I despise who I am. I am not pleased with what I look like right now. When I, when I see you, just like Job did, where he says, I finally see you, and I see everything that you are, when I look at myself, I'm just disgusted, and I realize, man, I'm not happy with this at all. When that realization comes, and that fact of being so sorry for who you are, not wanting it to be anymore, then that change can really take place. And that change is, is, is deep inside yourself, saying, man, that is not me anymore. Because it's not just saying, I don't want to be that person anymore, but it's, it's, it's that standing forward then and saying, I'm not going to be that person anymore. That's not who I am. I'm going to turn away from that, and I'm going to make a change deep down inside myself, a wholehearted change. I talked about before, if someone's drowning, okay, and another person takes and throws a life raft out to them, you think they're going to just like kind of toss an arm on it? Just kind of be like, ah, oh, you can go ahead and pull me in if you want. When someone throws a life raft to you, what happens is you grab a hold of it with all of your might. You wrap both hands around it and you squeeze it as tight to your chest as you possibly can. Because you were this close to death and now you have something to hold on to, a salvation. And you grasp a hold of that just as strong as you possibly can and you wouldn't let it go for anything. It's that wholehearted type of change where you don't just say, ah, change, but you pull that deep down inside yourself that deep, just, oh, I will not. And what happens with that is then that change and then realizing how much you hate that sin that used to be part of your life. Realizing how much I hate that and I do not want that for me anymore. And when this happens, when this, this change deep down inside of us takes place, there's something else that also happens right with it when you're talking about repentance. And that's a change on the outside. This is no less important. It goes hand in hand. Because even back in the Greek, when the word metanoite was used, it was often linked right next to it to the word epistrophine, which means to turn. The words were often used hand in hand. It wasn't just the fact of a, of a change, of a mind change, but it was always paired with this verb, to turn. There's something powerful about that, isn't that? 
there's a physical action involved with repent, with what this word means. Here's how I take it. Talk, my friends, is very cheap. Talk is very cheap. I don't know about you. I've been in this world for 21 years, and if there's one thing I've learned is, man, talk is cheap. People talk a lot. They talk a lot. I've seen plenty and plenty of talk without any action to back it up. No action to back it up. There's a story in the Bible. Um, Jesus Christ, he always talked in these parables. He just tells stories to people to teach them something. Because that's how he'd, he'd teach them. He'd, he'd just tell a story and he'd say, now what do you think about that? And he says this one one time. Tell me what you think of the story. A man had two sons. He went up to the first and said, son, go out for the day and work in the vineyard. And the son answered, I, won't, I don't want to. And later on he thought better and he went and did it. The father gave the same command to his second son, and he answered, Sure, I'm glad to, Dad. But later, he never went. And Jesus says, Which of these two sons did what the father asked? And they said, The first. So that's what I mean about that. Talk is cheap, isn't it? How many different people just say, Yeah, Dad, I'd love to go do that. And they don't. Well, the other kid might not have been, you know, <laughs> you know wasn't that, that banner son. Sure, Dad, golly, I'd love to help. He says, I don't want to. But you know what? He thought better. And who actually accomplished it was that, was that first son. He's the one who actually followed through. The words meant nothing. It was about the action. The same applies here. Lots of people talk. Man, lots of people talk. But the word repent has to do also with our actions, not just our minds and hearts. We cannot, say, um, we cannot just say that we're going to repent and change the inside of us and say that's where it's going to stay. And say, this is who I want to be, this is who I not want to be, and that's where it's going gonna, it's gonna to end up at. There has to be reaction to that on the outside. Isn't that so hypocritical? I mean, isn't it so hypocritical to act like you're going to do something and then you don't actually let it follow on the outside? There's this cool old story of this boy way back when, and his mom sent him into town, you know, this is back in the day, back into town to go get eggs. So this little boy goes in and he has some money. He goes in and he buys eggs from the, from the store, and on his way, he's walking out, and he catches a crack, and he trips and spills, and all the eggs break on the concrete. And it says there's a crowd that forms almost immediately, and they were saying, that's so sad, that poor kid, because he's sitting there crying because he knew he broke his eggs. When he gets home, he's going to be in some serious trouble. Everyone's like, oh, it's so sad. I feel so bad for him. And one of the guys finally come up, and he took and opened the kid's head, and he put a quarter in it. He says, I care a quarter's worth. How much do you guys care? The story actually makes sense, doesn't it? You can stand around and say how much you care. Oh, I really feel bad. Well, do you really feel bad? Because if you do, your actions should show it. Like that guy said, you know what? I feel bad enough that I'm going to give him a quarter. Do you guys actually care? Or are you just talking? There has to be that action that goes with it. The change has to carry over into our lives. The true repentance will reshape our life. We're going to look different. It's going to turn you into a different person. We see an example of this with our story of Josiah. He not only hears it, he not only has this heart change where he tears his clothes and you can feel this, this change deep down inside of him. No, but instead, after this, he calls everyone together. And he says, you guys have to hear this. You have to hear what I just understood. And what happens after that is that he goes out and he destroys everything that stands against what he now believes. Josiah is this picture of true repentance. We need to follow his example. Our repentance should be true enough that we want to tell other people about it. Just like he did. Called everyone together and said, I've learned this beautiful truth, 
and I want you guys to understand it too. That should be part of our repentance. And following right with that, the fact that he went back and he destroyed all these things, the same thing with us, this change should carry over into us not wanting to be the same person enough that we're actually going to turn. We're actually going to epistrophine. We're going to turn away from the sin. We're going to turn away from what the world had for us and instead turn to God. This is the direction I'm going, and instead I'm going to take and turn 180 degrees away from it and say it's not the direction I'm going anymore. I'm going to progress back this way. We have to actually move in it. We have to actually make a change on the outside as well as the inside. In Acts 26, 20, it says this. Paul is talking to, um, I believe at the time, he's talking to King Agrippa. He was getting in trouble, which he did a lot because people didn't like him, what he preached. And he's explaining what he taught people. And he says, I told them this. He says, I preached that they should repent, turn to God, and prove their repentance by their deeds. That's what Paul taught these people. They should repent and turn to God and prove that repentance by their deeds. I like that a lot. I like the fact that Paul actually had the courage to say that. What it means is that if a change has really happened inside of us and we've really repented, that we're going to continue this repentance by destroying these kinds of things in our life that stand against what we now believe. This can be really, really difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes it's really hard. But it's really important. You can't take half of it and not take the other half. Because of repentance... I've seen in my own life and I've seen in others around me. A change where it costs stuff. Giving up and destroying important things like possessions, situations, family, relationships, even really hard stuff like that. But when true repentance comes that even stuff that they loved they say, you know what, I can't take place in that anymore. Those can be really, really hard. But it makes sense, doesn't it? I know, like, you're, you're thinking with, like, everything and how harsh that is. But let's actually think about it for a second. Doesn't it really make sense? If you're talking about a real change and a real devotion to something, isn't it always followed by very, very intense action? What, what, what I thought about when I thought about this is when you say you love somebody, okay, when you say you really love somebody, what does that mean? It means that you follow it with action, don't you? To say you love somebody means nothing, does it? If my mom just told me she loved me, or someday when I'm married I tell my wife, you know, I love, I love you, that means nothing, does it? The reason why those words mean something is because they're followed by action that you see consistently throughout their life. And that's why when they say those words, they have a way because you know that they love you because they take and they spend time with you. And you know that they love you because in those times when you were down, they were there for you. And they were right beside you. And you know they love you because at times when you couldn't take care of yourself, they were there to take care of, care of you. And I mean, even when you talk about even farther, how about when we talk about marriage, when you say I love you, it means the fact that I don't love someone else. I'm wholly devoted to you. When I say I love you, I'm not going to turn around and be loving someone else. It's me and you, that devotion. That's what I'm talking about. It makes sense, doesn't it? When you talk about something that's really special, it takes that kind of hardcore devotion. Now, repentance is real, 
And it's just as real today as when Paul preached it back then. But what's really, really awesome about that is if I talk about repentance, what's so cool about that is what God does when true repentance comes about. What God does when true repentance comes about. Um, God is merciful to forgive. He is merciful to forgive. When we actually repent, God will forgive us and take away all the punishment that we've earned. It reminds me of actually a story um, in Jonah. Jonah, uh, which I think I told you about a couple of weeks back, Jonah's supposed to go to this, this town called Nineveh, and he's supposed to preach their destruction. You people are wicked, and you're going to be destroyed. And what happens is he goes and preaches to it, and they actually get a hold of it. And they say, well, we don't mean this. We want to turn away. So they take and they, they all go through a fast, and they all just fall on their knees basically before God and say, God, you know, this isn't who we want to be, and forgive us. And you know what happens is, is God turns away his judgment. It says in Jonah 3.10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. All that destruction that we had earned, God will turn away. God is compassionate and he will forgive. Which really brings me to my next point. Salvation does not exist without repentance. It just does not. I've kind of talked about, um, you know, all this different stuff with what repentance is, but, you know, what does that, um, what does that obvi- obviously actually mean? Um, I talked about Jesus Christ, but, I mean, the, the backstory of this, if you guys have never heard it, if you have heard it, it doesn't really matter. The fact that God is perfect, okay, and he can't be with anything but perfection. So it says here on earth in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. What this means is that anything that isn't pleasing to God is what we call sin. All of us have sinned. To be honest in the room, all of us have sinned probably a lot. And it says that the wages of that sin, what we earn for that sin is death. And that's separation from God. And it says, but the gift of God, the gift, not earned, something that he gives you freely, is eternal life, which means eternity with him, heaven continuation of life. The story basically goes that we're sinners. We can't pay for our own sins. What stands against us is this huge mountain of sin that calls for our death. But Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died on a cross. And because he was perfect, he took all that sin and he paid for it. It's like standing in a courtroom and you have a million dollar bail set on your head. And you realize that I'm going to jail for a long time. But a man walks in and he has a million dollars and says, you know what? Here, and he sets the million dollars on the bench. The judge says, you know what? You're free to go. Your debt to society has been paid. You can take off. It's like what Jesus did for us. He paid for all of that sin because he loved us. And what it says is that we have to accept him. So here's what really leads into this, is that Jesus paid for these sins. But we have to accept this gift. Believing, however, is not enough. It's dependent on repentance. At the beginning of this message, do you remember the the verse that I used talking about what Jesus Christ said? He says, From the time that Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's what Jesus said. What this means is this. He didn't say, think. He didn't say, believe. He didn't say, guess or suppose. What word did he use? 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He didn't say the end is coming, so you should believe in me. He didn't say the kingdom of heaven is coming, so you should hope in me. He said you should repent. You should repent. Because repentance is necessary for that salvation. Anyone who tells you that salvation does not take repentance is a liar. And I'll go one step further. They are a, a false prophet, just like I've taught in the past about being weary of those people. Look through the Bible and over and over and over again, you will see people who connect with God and receive salvation and what always follows is a change. What always follows is a change. Whether we get to see only a small portion of that life or a large portion, we see a distinct difference from who they were before to who they were after. Because God demands repentance in us. Luke 24. Luke 24, I'm going to read this for you real quick. says the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem it says repentance and forgiveness will be preached not just forgiveness forgiveness is tied hand in hand with our repentance it cannot be taken away what this means is that if you're starting a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you want that relationship, if you depend on Jesus Christ as you say, man, you know what? I understand that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus Christ to pay for me, to take and pay for that sin and I believe in him, that it has to be accompanied with repentance. That belief isn't enough. It's just not enough. So here's where it comes to is this. Is tonight... Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you accepted that free gift that he gave to us where he paid for all of our sin? Where he paid for everything that's supposed to be piled on top of us? Have you accepted that and said, yeah, I do want that? And if, if you have, have you repented then? Have you felt that heavy feeling of saying, God, you know what, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm making a change inside myself and I'm following it up with my, with my exterior." My deeds are not going to be the same. I am proving my repentance with my deeds. And that really is the next question. Even if you say that you're repentant, have you proven it by your deeds? Have you proven your repentance? Just like Paul said. Repentance doesn't end there. It goes a lot farther. And that's actually what we're talking about next week. We're going to continue next week about more about what repentance means. A continual repentance in our life. But tonight I want to end here with those questions. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you repented? And have you proven your repentance by your deeds? I want to pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you for tonight. God, I, I thank you just for your word that can clarify things in our heart and in our minds. God, that tonight we, we clarify the fact that repentance is so key, is so key to to salvation, Lord God. And what it really means is that it's not enough just to say it, Lord God, but it must be followed by action. And I thank you, God, just for your gift of salvation. And even tonight, um, if you're in the crowd right now and you say, you know what, I do not have salvation in Jesus Christ. If I died right now, I do not know, but I want that. I want that salvation. 
All you have to do is just look up and catch eyes with me right now. Just look up. And after we get done, just come up and talk to me for a second. Just come up for, for a quick second, and we'll just chat and just talk about salvation. Lord, I thank you so much tonight um, just for that gift that you've given us. And I just pray to you, God, that, Lord, you would just bring the spirit of repentance inside of us. Over this next week, until next week, when we come back again and we talk more about repentance, God, that you would just really strengthen this in our minds, that it would be in our hearts. When we come next week, that you would just build on this foundation. I thank you, God, and don't stop working in our hearts. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.